0: wanted to speak with you about the power of a godly mind. The power of a godly mind. Last week we talked about managing our emotions, which had a lot to do with the way we think, the thoughts we have and cultivate. And so today is a bit of an uh, outflow of that, specifically speaking about the power of a godly mind. The greatest position that you have is truly... Your mind, which is a part of your heart. If you remember, we also talked about the heart. The heart is made up as the seat of your conscience, your thoughts, desires, your will, your emotion. And so, a part of your heart is your mind. And the Bible says, guard it. Guard your heart. Because from it flows all the issues of life. Everything comes from your heart and your mind being part thereof. So therefore, your greatest position that you have is, in fact, your mind. Whatever captures your mind, captures your heart. Whatever captures your heart, captures your life. And whatever captures your life, ultimately captures your eternity. Your feelings are formed by the thoughts you have. Thoughts of hope, thoughts of fear. All these are formed, all these Emotions you may have and desires may spring forth from within. These subjective drives that you have really spring from your mind. Your feelings are formed by thoughts you have of love, of acceptance, of rejection, of anxiety. Thoughts of bravery and thoughts of cowardice, all of these are determined by or determines your emotions. This is supposed to aim up, so I'm wearing the wrong shirt too. So therefore, our emotions, our beliefs, our convictions, our actions, all, are, all, of the, all of those are in fact a result of our thought life, the thoughts that we cultivate and that we hold on to. Now, you don't have, to, um, you don't have a thought because you're anxious. Let me say this. Because, you don't have a thought because you're anxious. You are anxious because you have a thought. Anxiety flows from the mind, not to the mind. Just like an idea comes before an invention, so a thought comes before an action. Therefore, in in order to have the right actions, we have to have the right thoughts initially. The Word of God speaks to us with great clarity and persistence about our minds. Actually, it's a much greater subject than um, we realize for it to be. For instance, we are told in scriptures to renew our minds, Romans 12.2, we are told to have our minds stayed on Him, Isaiah chapter twenty-six, three. If anything is praise of pra- praiseworthy, to think of these things, Philippians four, eight. Take thoughts captive, Second Corinthians ten, five. To guard our hearts and our minds, Philippians four, seven. To be renewed in the spirit of our minds, Ephesians four, twenty-three. To set our minds on things above, Colossians three, two. To love God with our minds, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. To be sober-minded, 1 Peter five eight. To gird up the loins of our minds, First Peter one thirteen. The Scriptures also warns us of having a double mind. John one or James one eight talks about how the people in the world, the unsaved, have been bl- have blinded minds. Second Corinthians four four talks about a depraved mind or a debased mind in Romans chapter one eight. And the fact that evil thoughts come from our hearts, Matthew 15, 19. So the Word of God makes a very big deal about our minds and um, more so than I believe we even realize. In Isaiah chapter 26, 3, it says, you keep Him in perfect peace. In other words, God, you keep Him in perfect peace. Why? Because His mind is stayed on you. So when I don't have perfect peace, it is not because of the things I'm going through in life, it's because my mind has not stayed on him. So next time peace leaves you, don't point to circumstances or a spouse or children or a situation or finances or politics. When perfect peace leaves you, it's because your mind has not stayed on him. You see, even though you may work very hard and achieve all your financial goals, even though you may work very hard and check off every box item in your bucket list, doesn't matter if you get to the end of that and you don't have peace, you have nothing, right? But a lot of things can go wrong and still end up having peace because your mind has stayed on him. So really, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to drive a point home that what you do with your mind matters. And what you don't do with your mind matters because what we do in life plays out in our minds and what we do with our mind plays out in our life. Your emotions, your freedom, your spiritual maturity, your peace, your transformation, Romans 12, 2, all these things hinge on what happens with your mind. The heart will respond to the thoughts of a person Whatever thoughts you allow to lodge in your mind. Your heart keeps on responding to it. Because I choose my thoughts. My thoughts decide the state of my heart. Now, we all know that you have received a brand new heart of flesh from the Lord, correct? But you have to keep your heart. Even so, your heart's like a garden. And you have to keep it. How do you keep it? By filtering through the thoughts that you have and making sure that they are able to filter through scriptures. So I choose the thoughts I have, but the thoughts that I have decide the state of my heart. The heart will either love or it will hate. It will be fond of or it will resent depending on what we put our minds on. Some examples would be, for instance, a single mother can breed thoughts of honor or thoughts of dishonor in the hearts of her children while their father is at work. It's the, it's the mom's, the mom has the ability to mold a heart determined by what she allows into the minds of her children. That's why for us, you know, we're really, really careful as to what our kids are able to see because we know What they see, their minds are filled with, and what their minds are filled with forms their mind and causes their heart to respond accordingly. I would much rather have my children be bored than being entertained. Boredom is a much healthier thing to have (laughs) than entertainment. But the reason we'd rather choose entertainment is because we don't want to have to deal with them. But little do we know, we are forming their hearts. And when that heart grows up, it responds to you, and you go like, "What did I ever do?" What did I ever do to receive this disrespect?" When we choose our thoughts, our thoughts dis- determine or decide the state of our hearts. Some have allowed their minds to be filled so filled with specific worldviews, they just naturally see the world as a villain everybody's, the world's against me, everybody's my enemy, I hate everything I see, I resent everything I, when I turn the TV on now, of course, you don't have to agree with what you see, and you shouldn't agree with most of what you see, but that doesn't mean you have to walk around resentful all the time, because your mind ought to be stayed on him, not it, your heart will love or hate, long will resent, Admire or abhor something or someone depending on the thoughts you have embraced regarding that thing or that person, so our conclusion here simply is this: the truth is your heart couldn't love or couldn't hate if your mind didn't allow it to. you know we ought to be bonded with love but but we some of the some of the some of the most um Strongest bonds people have are with those they resent. You know, we ought to be bonded in love, but some of the strongest bonds people have are with those that they have not yet forgiven or those that they hate. I mean, we went through a stage where people were so bound to Fauci. (laughs) In fact, you know, he ran your life and you didn't realize this. We have to be bound to the Lord based on what we put our minds on, right? The Bible teaches the mind as eyes. It teaches that the mind has a spirit. That the mind can be hardened. That the mind can be blinded. That the mind can be quickened. That the mind can be perverted, defiled, become reprobate or defective. It also talks about the fact that the mind can be renewed. Right in, Romans chapter two, uh, in, in Matthew chapter 22, we see also that the Bible tells us that the, lo- that the mind can love. I mean, that's an interesting thought. The mind can love. Matthew twenty two thirty six. it says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, Jesus said to this man, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, love him with all of your soul, and love him with all of your mind. We can love with our minds and we are commanded to love with our minds. Yeah, we talked about emotion. How do you command an emotion? All of scriptures basically commanding you commanding you to change the emotion you have. Right? It says, be grateful to the ungrateful. Like, how am I supposed to just command my emotion? All right, I'm ungrateful. Now I'm gonna command my emotion. You be grateful. (laughs) How do you command your emotion? Love your enemy. How do I command myself to do something I don't feel like doing? Well, here is a little insight into it. We have to love with our minds. Your heart will follow if you allow your mind to do what is right. We haven't, we haven't necessarily shaken this out within the church yet, but thinking is without a question a very, very spiritual exercise. You are engaging in spiritual exercise all day long, depending on what you do with your thoughts. You might say, well, Jacques, how did you conclude that my thought life is my spiritual life or part of my spiritual life, that thinking is in fact a spiritual exercise? Well, Adam and Eve fell fell into spiritual darkness due to certain unlawful, illegal Knowledge called the knowledge of good and evil. Eve was introduced to a thought that she could be equal to God. This whole drive to equality is proof of the fact that they don't understand the doctrine of total depravity. Again, (laughs) the the doctrine of total depravity just about solves every problem man has. When somebody goes like, well, I'm, I'm equal to you. Well, we're equally depraved, if that's what you mean. <laughs> Is that true? That's why Charles Spurgeon said, you know, when somebody thinks ill of you, don't be angry, because you're much worse than that guy thinks. Relax, we're 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 worse. Don't worry about it. If you think you're not, you're limiting the work of Christ on the cross because you're saying, well, He did come and save me, but not from much. I'm pretty good, actually. But if you understand the doctrine of total depravity, you're actually magnifying the work of Christ on the cross because look at what he came to save. Look at the price he had to pay. And so here Adam and Eve fell into spiritual darkness. Why? Because they engaged in what is known as the knowledge of good and evil. They were never supposed to be, have been introduced to evil. But now here they have the knowledge thereof. And that right there threw them into spiritual darkness. My point I'm making is what you do with your mind all day long is you exercising or engaging in spiritual exercise all day long. So we have to be very careful to not neglect that idea Because people come and they go, well, Jacques, you know, I'm just feeling very distant from the Lord. Well, distance from the Lord started somewhere, didn't it? Also, thinking is a spiritual exercise because in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says that we ought to renew our minds according to the will of God. I beseech you, therefore, brothers, not to be conformed to the ways of this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Without question, what you do with your mind is you engaging in spiritual practices. So one of the two questions before us today is, number one, how do I cultivate a godly mind, therefore? How do I go about making sure that my mind isn't going to the wrong direction? The first point that we have to to grab onto and agree with, this this is where we start, all right, is that you do not believe every thought you have. It's a problem with the culture. They think that they are their thoughts. But beyond that, instead of having a thought, they have a feeling and they thought that that was a thought. No, that was a feeling, not a thought. And even if it was, you are not it. I saw this ad where they, were, where they were asking middle school kids, "Do you, boys, do you believe you could possibly be happier if only you were a girl?" Or which boy doesn't experience an unhappy day? But the reason people can buy into that garbage is because they can't distinguish between a feeling and a thought. My daughter wants to be a unicorn. You know, that's a feeling, that's a thought, but that's not a reality, right? But people can't discern between things anymore. Number one, we have to realize that you have feelings. we we'll talk about where they come from. Number two, we have to realize that we have thoughts. And oftentimes, most of the time, the feeling is there because the thought went somewhere. You watched a happy movie, you feel happy. You watched a scary, scary movie, you feel scared. So your feelings follow your thoughts. Focus determines feelings. But you are neither of those. You are what God says you are. So, the first thing we have to realize is we do not believe every thought we have or feeling we have. Because we have this tendency to believe a subjective truth long before we tend to believe an objective truth. In other words, it is actually easier to believe a feeling than what it is to believe a scripture. Have you realized? It's easier to believe a feeling than what it is to believe a scripture. It is much easier to believe a feeling than it is to believe a fact that goes against that feeling you have. Because of that, you should not believe every thought you have. Why not? Because of where those thoughts actually come from. If we realize the source of thoughts, we can go like, "Whoa, what? I shouldn't be I shouldn't be linking my garden hose to that <laughs> to that tap right there." To that source, right? Many of our thoughts grew in us. They grew in us because of the mainstream media. They grew in in us because of our environment, because of the family we grew up in, the culture we grew up in, because of the people we tend to spend a lot of time with. All of those things are sources of thoughts because of the school that we graduated from, etc., etc. etc. So the world does. Push a lot of thoughts into our minds. Many of our thoughts were little seeds planted to us, therefore, by the world. Other than destructive thoughts that have been planted into our minds from the world, we also have thoughts being planted into us by the flesh. When our flesh is enticed, temptation is birthed. And now suddenly, my thoughts are captured by this temptation that I'm dealing with, but that thought came from my flesh. I am linger upon that thought, and now suddenly my desire is for it. Can't deal with temptations if I don't deal with my thoughts. As a matter of fact, I'll have so many less temptations if I would just stop uh, my thoughts from going where they shouldn't go. Have you ever walked up to the edge of a very high building? It's almost like there's this gravitational pull. Have you felt that? And so what you want to do is you want to run away from the edge because that gravitational pull, for whatever reason, just wants to throw you over. Now, if you were standing on a plank and the plank was three inches high, you wouldn't have that gra- gravitational pull. Put that thing 100 feet high, suddenly there is a gravitational pull, right? But in the same way, the reason people struggle so much with temptation is because they're so close to the edge. I've Been in the youth ministry my whole life, just about, now I have youth, like wow, I used to talk about these kids' parents, now I'm one of them. But, but I, I always used to say, if a kid really struggles with temptation, you have gotta realize, okay, there are a lot of reasons as to why, right? Because of who you're with, because of where you're at, because of the places you go. If you're coming out of the world and you need to quit certain things, you gotta accept those relationships, stop going to those places, and you'll feel the temptation the gravitational pull towards temptation is so much lesser, right? Because everywhere we go, people we with it, these are thoughts that are cultivated inside of our minds. So we see that the world fills us with thoughts, therefore we ought not to believe the thoughts we have. Don't believe every thought you have. Secondly. It's the flesh. The flesh fills our mind with thoughts. And thirdly, the demonic, because those are our three enemies, remember? The world is our enemy, the flesh is our enemy, and the demonic is our enemy. How does the demonic fill your thoughts? Well, doctrines of demons, first Timothy four one. What does that mean? That means if you're listening to somebody with a really bad hermeneutic, turn them off. Unless you're making a video explaining how they are wrong. <laughs> right? <laughs> Just turn them off. Why you fill yourself with, with junk doctrine? Doctrines of demons. First, interesting, you've got to realize, these, this is not you going to an Alice Cooper concert. Right? Right? This is not you going to an ACDC concert where you go and uh, you say, well, this is doctrines of demons. Or I saw Sam Smith on, you know, um, how hideous. Who wants to look like that? I don't know. But there he is dressed in a devil costume. That's not the demonic. The demonic is in fact, that might be an an expression of the demonic, but the demonic is in fact doctrines of demons. In other words, it's from a pulpit like this could be me. You should go check it out in scriptures, right? <laughs> you should go to the word and see if what was said preached was in fact the truth. Right, Burians? And so doctrines of demons are in fact preaching things that are almost right. Remember discernment? There's no the difference from being right. It's the difference between being right versus being almost right because nobody's trying to deceive you with a Sam Smith. Everybody knows that's not the truth. And so we have thoughts flooding our minds from the world, thoughts flooding our minds from the flesh, thoughts flooding our minds from false philosophies and doctrines of demons, and that's why we ought to not believe every thought that comes to us. Beyond that, Another reason as to why we should not believe every thought we have is because every one of us suffer from a degree of mental illness. (laughs) It's absurd to think that man's mind is just as sound after the fall as it was before the fall. Did sin not do anything to your mind? Of course it did. It is an undeniable fact that sin had an effect on human mind. See, when the when you, human race fell into sin, every part of who we are became radically corrupted by sin. And that is why we are told in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, to renew our minds. Because when you got saved, your spirit, you got saved, you, but your body, your mind did not. Your mind has to be renewed. Your body will one day be glorified. You weren't immediately sanctified when you got saved. So therefore, what I'm trying to bring to you here is that the way of sanctification is dealing with the mind. Oh, I've got to become more like Jesus. Well, start thinking like he does. Think God's thoughts after him. That is the road to sanctification. Just like the invention came after the thought. So the action comes after the thought. So sanctification happens because you allow the Holy Spirit through the word of God to iron out all the wrinkles in your mind. It's one degree too cold. Steve, thank you, brother. People struggle to listen, I see. As a matter of fact, the Bible outlines the fallen state of our mind. It speaks of men having, watch this, deluded minds, depraved minds, sinful minds, dull minds, blinded minds, corrupt minds, It's an amazing thing how much the Word of God actually addresses the mind. Scripture clearly teaches that sin has broken our minds. And continuous and willful sin, according to Romans chapter 1, will cause us to have a defective mind, and that's what we're seeing in the world today, a depraved mind. Can't see the difference between wrong and right. Calls good evil, evil good. Calls male female, calls female male. Thinks that a pride parade is just the greatest thing because we're tolerant. You know that the word tolerance actually appears in the Bible a few times. Every time negative, rebuked for being tolerant every time. But what we need to do is we should not tolerate certain things in our own minds. And your thoughts are like this. How how about this? Let's try this quick. Try and um, try and take. Everybody look at my phone. Try and take this thought out of your mind. Stop thinking about my phone right now. Just stop thinking about my phone. Stop thinking about my phone right now. Stop thinking about my phone. Ben, stop thinking about my phone, right? You can't stop thinking about something unless what you do is you replace it with something else. It's like light and darkness, right? You can't take darkness out of this room. The only thing you can do is put light into it. You can't, make, you can't take cold away from a, a room. You have to put heat into it, Right? Darkness is really the absence of light. Cold is the absence of heat. Evil is the absence of God. That's why evil is always called ungodliness or unrighteousness or unholy. It's it's the un-of God. So in other words, evil actually proves that there is a God because it's the opposite of it. You go, why did God allow evil into the world? Because it proves him. Well, if he's good, He would have removed all evil. If he was great, he could have removed all evil. So either he's not great or he's not good. No, he's wise. He he allows evil, just like he allowed them to crucify Christ, because it proves him. I'm mentioning this entire list of mental defections to build a case against the idea that we have to not trust our minds. (laughs) My mind is not trustworthy. Nowhere in the Bible are you supposed to trust you or anyone except for in Proverbs 31. It says that his heart will trust her. See, the only time we are told to trust another human or it says that a human trusts another human that was good. But we aren't called to trust each other. We are called to trust God and love each other. But what we tend to do is we want to love God, and trust people. No, we ought to just love people and trust God. I'm not saying don't love God. I'm just saying make sure you do it that way. So I'm mentioning this in order to build a case against the idea of trusting your own mind. So don't believe every thought you have, but rather believe every thought that is recorded in Scripture. Those are the thoughts we have. Uh, You are never more sane than when you think God's thoughts after him. You are never more insane than when you think contrary to God's thoughts. That is insanity. Another big reason why we ought never to believe every one of our thoughts is because we only really see what we're looking for. Isn't this true? You're like, you only see what you're looking for. You eagerly search for the upsides of the person you have just fallen in love with. Oh, that's so beautiful. All the upsides of that person is all you can see when you love them. While you diligently look for the downsides of the person you dislike. There's nothing good about this person. Because of our biases, we have blind spots. We might be looking at something and not see it for what it is. Something very interesting that I found is that the optic nerve the optic nerve in your eye is, is the nerve that carries messages from the retina to the brain. So you see something and it carries it to the brain. Um, but studies have shown that there are actually more messages coming from your brain forward than from your eye backward. In other words, that means your brain is telling you what you are seeing more than what your eye is telling your brain what it is seeing. And this, is a, this is an interesting thing because what's in here determines what you see there. The more I dislike you, the more I only see downsides. The more I love you, I cannot see a downside on the upside. Right? Your past experiences log- logged and lodged in your files and your brain has a staggering impact on how you see what you're looking at. But it is not just your past experiences. It's also your biases. It's your opinions. It's your current worldview that you have. Your worldview causes you to see the world as it is. It impacts you how you view things that you're looking at all the time and people that you're looking at. And and this is why you can have five different eyewitnesses explaining the same incident in five different ways. Five different people saw this car accident. You ask them to give a testimony and they all give a different perspective, right? (laughs) Oftentimes people just see things because of who they are not because of what happened Hmm. so we you have experienced this before in your life as a matter of fact this is interesting if we can just grab the power of mind the power of the mind the power of the mind of the believer where god has called us and what god has called us to do with our minds imagine what life could be so i'm not telling you to renew your mind i'm just saying imagine what could be if you did you know, that's why we have Bible school. That's why we have Bible reading challenge. That's why, you know, I tell people to go to church. And this is a good one. You can come here and uh, be with people that will help you honor God more. How do you know somebody's from God? It's They really draw the best out of you in regards to the Lord. How do you know somebody's not of God? It's they do the opposite, right? You may have experienced this before in your life, and um, it's that while you are given to a certain sin, many of us have throughout our lives at some point, and the one that says that they haven't, that is your sin, lying. But, But you've experienced this before, that while you're given to a specific sin, That sin actually is is actively affecting your mind. I know when I have given myself to sin, that my unrepentant sin has caused me to become clouded in my thinking. My anger becomes more important than God's truth. And right now, me being right is more important than that relationship. And so I, I become clouded, I become distracted. I become anxious, I become restless, my mind becomes dull, my mind becomes blunt. But that's actually the story of Samson. So I've discovered a truth about people, whether they be in sin or not in sin, depending on whether they're in sin or not in sin. People do not see life as it is, people see life as they are. You see, the critical person will feel like everybody's criticizing them. (laughs) This is so true. (laughs) I've counseled enough people to to know this. The gossip will judge everybody else as being gossips. I remember when I was a youth pastor of a youth group. There were about 300 kids in this youth group at one stage. And uh, the the biggest gossip in the whole youth group asked to see me. And so this kid sits down. He goes, I'm leaving. I'm leaving past. I'm like, (laughs) okay. Who are you leaving to? She says, I don't know. I said, okay, well, why are you leaving? Everybody here is talking about me. <laughs> I now, bro. You are the one talking about everybody, right? We are as we judge. The cynical person will, feel, will see life from the perspective of a cynical mindset. If you have a cynical mindset, you'll see life through that mindset. That's why everything is questionable. The unrenewed mind will see life from a worldly perspective, while the renewed mind that is trained to fear God will see life from a scriptural and internal perspective. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they see God. You're like, how can you see God in 2023? I see Him everywhere because I believe He's sovereign. Yeah, but there's so much evil. I know it proves that he's there. How about, what do you think went through people's minds when they were standing around the cross Well, while the most wicked people ever throughout history murdered the most perfectly holy human being ever who happens to be God? Jesus was God. But there he was and they were looking at him, the Son of Man being crucified. Nobody could have said, wow, God is great. Nobody says that. People go like, "Man, this world's become evil." All I'm saying is that it is possible for God to use evil unto His own purposes. He actually says that. He works all things together for the good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. He couldn't have made that promise if He couldn't ordain evil. <laughs> he's not. Uh, he's, he didn't birth evil. but evil plays into his hands. So we ask the question, how do we do this? How do we cultivate this godly mind? Well, the first thing is, just to lay a foundation is, stop believing the thoughts you have. Everybody's rejecting me. Stop believing the thoughts you have. Believe the scriptures you read. That's truth. That's objective truth. Your thoughts are subjective to you. Our second question for today is how do, we, how do we then love God with our minds? Because if we can start loving God with our minds, that means we're putting light into a dark room. That's how darkness leaves. So how, how do we love God with our minds? So we have to realize that thinking is not loving, but thinking is the means through which love can be awakened. Let me just say that again. Thinking is not loving. But thinking is the means by which love can be awakened. The more I think about. All the great things about my wife. The more love is being awakened toward her. The more I think. About my wife's downsides. And the more I linger upon what annoys me. The love that I have is cooling down, right? So again, thinking is not loving, but thinking is the means through which love can be awakened. So the thoughts you hold of somebody determines where that relationship is going to end. Seeing God's eternal attributes draws out of you an admiration of Him. You know, when we see God's attributes, and it's so interesting to me, we talk about ministers start preaching about all the benefits of giving or all the benefits of holiness or all the personal benefits of anything, of reading the Bible or quoting scriptures. People are always like, Yeah, let me write this down. When you go about, well, let's talk about the attributes of God His omniscience, the aseity of God, the eternality of God, the holiness of God. Everybody's like, Aren't we over time yet? <laughs> Not here, but I'm just talking in general. The attributes of God, you can go and search all YouTube, YouTube teachings on it. It never, never really has a high amount of views. People aren't very eager to buy the books on the attributes of God. But if you have a clear understanding of the attributes of God, if you have a, it'll give you a high view which will result in high worship. I mean, when you fall down on your feet, uh, what did I just say? <laughs> Unless you're a cat. <laughs> if you fall down on your face and you worshiping God, the degree of your worship is, uh, is totally connected to the degree of your understanding of who he is, right? So my point that I'm making here is that if we see God's eternal attributes and they become clear to us, it'll draw out of us admiration of him. If you lack admiration of God, it's because you lack an understanding of who he is. Most people think about the attributes of God and no emotion flows through them. You put a picture of the Grand Canyon up there, they go like, because of what they see, but they don't really see what's true about God. That's why it doesn't happen to them, right? I hope you're following what I'm saying. When you think about God's acts toward you, and when, you, when you're able to wrap your mind around the fact that nobody has done for you what He has done for you, it awakens love in your heart toward Him. When you're able to wrap your mind around the fact that nobody has loved you like He has loved you, sacrificially, even while you hated Him, He loved you sacrificially, nobody has given to you what He has given to you, His Son, his life, his righteousness, his name, the right to become a child of God. Nobody has forgiven you for what he has forgiven you for. Nobody has promised you a future like the promises of eternal life that he has made to you. If you think about God, who he is, and what he's done for you and what he's promised to you, if your mind is stayed on that, there's no possible way for you do not awaken the love in your heart toward Him and your admiration of Him. It is impossible for it to not cause your worship for you to have higher worship than before because of what you now understand. When you're able to wrap your mind around these truths, then you're able to declare with David, Psalm seventy-three twenty-five. it says, Who have I in heaven but you? Who have I in heaven but you? when all these truths are grasped with your understanding, then and then only will you treasure him above all else. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that these words aren't just words, that this is not a sermon, but this is a message to us individually, that this will become a reality for all of us. God, that you have, you, you, the red light is flashing and you're saying, watch out, watch out. The warning is is come today. Watch out, what you do with your mind matters. What we give our focus to and our attention to matters. The time we spend on useless, worthless things matter. Who we give our ears to matter. And what we imagine matters. I pray, Father God, that you help us discipline, buffer our flesh, meaning disciplining our minds. Allow us, Father God, to put our minds on you by putting our minds on scripture that we won't have imaginary God but that we will wrap our minds and our consciences around the God of scripture and Lord help us take these very very practical thoughts and these practical actions and let us apply it as we give ourselves to studying your word spending time with your body giving ourselves to your work, your kingdom. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.